and welcome to Game Breaking Feature, the podcast where we analyze and discuss common elements of modern video game design and development. My name is Stephen Bennett, and in this episode, we'll be talking about quality assurance, the time in video games development cycle when all the bugs get hammered out, which is why we don't need day one patches anymore, right? Right? Mm. Anyway, bad joke. <laughs> all right. It's, a, it's our first episode of the new year. I'm allowed to get one groaner out of the way. Hopefully, we, uh, hopefully it's all uphill from here. <laughs> Tell me discuss quality assurance as a man who hammers out all the bugs in this podcast. Kind of like the joke I just made. Hopefully this one gets hammered out in post. It's my good friend Jared Bruner. Jared, how you doing, man? Good, good, man. Yeah, a lot of a lot of people don't really know this going into uh, podcast production, but uh, you actually use a, a mallet instead of a hammer. It's mm. just uh, it's more you're, efficient. You're getting you're getting your so you're getting your groaners of jokes out of the way. Uh, I wouldn't also, say I a groaner, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're so, we're so bad at comedy. Why do we try? Like I had I had several weeks to write down this joke, and this was that was the best I could come up with. I mean, we've been doing this for like a year and a half, and um, you know, I think it's it's improved. <laughs> I don't Is know it, if I would agree. It's with better that. than it was. <laughs> I don't know that I would agree with any of this. Jared, we're a mockery of podcasting, but you know who's not a mockery of podcasting? Jared, our guest today. He's a host on This Is Rad and a filthy wrecking ball main. Please welcome back to the show our good friend, Matthew Burnside. Hello. Burnside, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you guys? Doing good. Doing good. The start of this podcast is not new, new <laughs> year. hopeful for the rest new of it. New year and yeah. a, a new run of excellent <laughs> podcasting by all of us. Yeah. Well, you know, the, the way you can look at it is there's a lot of more days for great stuff ahead of you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, how you doing? Uh, how have you been since we last talked? Oh, well, since we last talked on here or since we last talked on Overwatch. <laughs> uh, yeah, we should mention so, uh, Burnside and I play quite a bit of Overwatch together, which is why I know he's a filthy Hammond main. Yeah, and, you know, uh, good, except I lost three matches last night, so. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's been my, that's been my experience lately. Do you make any uh, New Year's resolutions? It's a new year. Our resolution is to not, not be as bad at podcasting this year, but do you, did you make any? Make it a listenable product? Yeah. <laughs> Well, you guys are uh, off to a start. I mean, it's a good thing yeah. that we're still on topic. <laughs> we're off to something. We're off to something, that's for sure. Uh, I didn't really make a real one other than probably... I mean, I need to lose weight. Everybody says that, but I like... Wait, people are telling you that? No, that's, no, that no. That seems no. rude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, man, I, I, Matt, crazy. you need like, to talk, I'm, man, because that's fucked up. I went to McDonald's, and I was just like, you know what? A triple cheeseburger, please. And they went double cheeseburger and i was like no i said triple and they're like no you want a double just kind of give you a side eye <laughs> well i don't know i ate a lot of food this holiday and uh i stepped on a scale and the scale informed me <laughs> <laughs> you may want to make a new year's resolution this year i don't really make re- resolutions i just don't i don't know i feel like i'm just trying to be better I, than i was every day you know I don't, I don't. I don't set those arbitrary goals at the beginning of the year. I guess I did. I, I, it sort of lines up with the new year, and it's kind of a coincidence. But I do want to really actually start putting some work into uh, learning Unity more, and start to make mm. a game that I have had in my mind for. Oh man, I don't. I don't remember how long at this point. Lots of years. Was it Unity that Epic is trying to get people away from, or is it the Unreal Engine? I can't remember. I, th- I thought I feel like the Epic is paying Epic? developers to like switch to the Unreal Engine or something. Uh, I mean they're probably doing things to try to get people onto to Unreal, but they're also like undercutting Steam right now with their store. Sure, and that's I think yeah. that's a big thing. 
So I, th- I think what you're talking about, Jared, is I think there were certain advantages given to people who built their games using the Unreal Engine when they sold it on the Epic Store. Oh, uh, gotcha. Okay. Uh, so Unity's not going anywhere is what you're saying. Um, no, apparently like Unity's, Unity's doing very well it's, for themselves. It's but, too uh, nice. I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> you, said you, you said you want to learn Unity. I thought the last time we had spoken, I thought you were trying to take steps away from the from the gaming industry you're, now you're talking about getting back into uh, uh, some uh, in, indie development yeah for myself Ooh, gotcha journalism yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> um well well yeah. this time last year you said you didn't want to be a part of the gaming industry and now you're telling me you do make up your mind <laughs> making databases is boring <laughs> and i could have told you that yeah, making a cartoon character fart poison on something is fun yeah, Wait, is this your dream game? No, but, oh, okay. <laughs> but maybe that could be part of it. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it has to be in there. You've said it on this podcast. Now it's cemented in stone. That's world. the way things work. Oh, jeez. I, you guys and I know everything. Here. I know everything about how video games are made. So oh. there you go. Oh. Do you guys actually have somebody just like a stenographer, but with like a big old sheet of sheetrock and then just like tapping what we're saying into it? Uh, yeah. It in stone. Hey, I got the bad jokes too, guys. <laughs> I'm 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 curious to see where this unity interest leads you. Oh, um, down an incredibly slow and procrastinated path, I'm sure. <laughs> Tri- hey, that's how I get things. Triple A game by the end of the year, I believe in you. <laughs> I think you'll get a triple G game by the end of 2020 decade. <laughs> that's reasonable. Oh wait, I mean that's about when Death Stranding is going to come out. So right in, <laughs> right in line with that. Um, how's the show going, man? How's this is rad going? Great. You know, people can uh, listen all they want on the iTunes and all the other spots where you can get your things. I think we're on Spotify and whatnot. I don't know. What episode are you guys on now? How how long have you guys (laughs) been going? I've legitimately lost track at this point. We've been doing it for Mm. so many years, I can't even begin to remember. And, (laughs) And... have we been doing it for like four or five years now? I can't. I, I really don't know. <laughs> That's awesome. Hundreds of episodes. Yeah, it's stupid. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to just describe it. You really were podcast. so like amped up before we started recording. You were so amped up to plug your show, and I've asked you about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess if anybody uh, wants to take a listen, this is rad. It's just a show where we talk about things that we or somebody else thinks is rad, and we try our best to remain positive the whole time. And um, we're our, our, I'd say our biggest skill, our largest talent, uh, is straying off topic. <laughs> so if you want to <laughs> hear, don't know hear, anything about that here. Yeah, you want to hear we're, we're always the, the existence focused. of a topic, and then and then just like shoot way off of it. Like if you're like, yeah, let's talk about Tom Petty, but then half of it we're just talking about, man, what would it be like if just everybody couldn't stop farting? <laughs> like like some terrible farting disease hit people in a submarine. That's the real <laughs> talk right there. Yeah. That's... I'm sure Tom Petty would be proud of that conversation too. Probably. I like to think that Lucky <laughs> Lucky would at he's, least appreciate he's that so, one. He's somewhere up in heaven smiling down on your farting conversation. <laughs> wait, Tom Tom Petty did pass away, right? I'm not yes. losing my mind. <laughs> yes, he okay. Did. Sadly. Okay. I was like, wait a second, do I am I thinking the right person? All right. Isn't uh, it crazy well, to think note. though? That, well, because well, even even when he died, there was some disagreement about if he actually died. I remember what? now. I remember pretty well. Yeah, there was a couple was like, years ago he died. There were all these like really? reports. He was in the hospital, 
and then uh, that no, he was fine. And then it was like no, he's he's dead. And then people were saying like no, he's he's performing a concert. I'm looking at him right now. I remember that. And then I remember it, that being like a weird like, thing. It, that wasn't a, that was a weird thing. Now I'm thinking about it. See, now you've dragged us down a Tom Petty hole. Here, I can just read the Wikipedia. No, I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> you can look it up on the whole thing is on his Wikipedia though. The whole uh, back and forth of what happened during his death. Interesting. Oh wow. Uh, when. I was listening to him on the radio in like the you know the early '90s or whatever, and I was like a little kid, thinking, like, oh okay, finally some classic rock from my parents that I that doesn't annoy me, and not knowing that that song was like four months old at the time. <laughs> like, Tom Petty was a fucking legend. A time machine <laughs> existed in his throat. It was insane. Oh, good old Tom Petty. So here's the thing: when your Tom Petty is broken. <laughs> you gotta consider either how to get there or what caused you to get there you know what i'm saying <laughs> like that's your kind of two avenues of paths that you, of thought you need to take on on fixing <laughs> and quality testing are you, uh, are are you trying to seg are you trying to segue us into the, the topic of discussion Someone i love should. it You're we really do need a host for this show like I, I think that we've ex this entire show has existed just without a host. It's just me and you talking at people. It, at ser yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm actually I'm the new host of the podcast, and I'm changing it. This is called Testy Petty. There we go. <laughs> oh boy, Test I'm gonna need you to spell that out for me. <laughs> we're gonna have, and we're also gonna have a very <laughs> narrow market of listeners for this. I think <laughs> narrow. But this dedicated. week's episode is about fixing your petty. Next week's episode is about petty being slightly upset about something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rest in peace, Tom Petty. Let's talk about let's talk about video games. Jared, why don't you uh, why don't you lay a little history lesson on us? Where did the origins of video game quality assurance? Where, wh what what are the? Why origins? do we even Tell have me. this section? I feel like our past ten episodes, we we start this with a little a caveat of being like, well, it's kind of difficult to nail down this topic, uh, the exact origin of the topic. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Whoever writes our show notes. Uh, should probably be fired. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, yeah, it, as long as software development has been a concept, there's been been testing. And at the earliest video games went through testing. It's just part of that process. Back then, it was usually performed by the same people who created the software or the dialogue between the end user and the developer. You may have heard of this little thing called the uh, Nintendo. Am I saying that right? Yeah, I think you pronounced it correctly. Nintendo uh, came out in 1985, uh, I believe. If this, if, if this is your first time listening to our podcast, we often have trouble pronouncing things, so this is a very good reference, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> Jokes. Most people are familiar with it, as far as I know. But they had their Nintendo official seal of approval. And that was just a little, little seal that they printed on the box of their games and everything that was licensed to them. And to get that seal, you actually had to submit your game to Nintendo and they would review it to make sure that it was quality product. Um, some people speculate that they started that because of the Atari game E.T. that failed in 1982. I, I don't know the whole history behind that. Is this the one, is this the E.T. game that they buried out in the desert? Yeah. So that was a thing. Uh, yeah. The New Mexico desert. I don't know like why it's like kind of like, it, it's kind of like the room of video games. It is. I don't think it's as bad as conventional wisdom would have you think that it is. Sure. Uh, I don't think it was a. I don't think it was a great game. Like kind of. A, oh, just it's like really a, bad. A, is it bad? There's is it, is of, it buggy? There's a. Oh yeah. It's those things where you'll know what I mean. Where it's kind of like, uh, I should bug this up, even though technically this might not be a bug. 
kind of thing. Yeah. But like, oh yeah, you know, you're walking and you're just moving the guy across the screen, and then all of a sudden he falls in a hole that you couldn't see, and and then you're like dead, and you're like, oh, everything was invisible. This is like the in the worst, movie. This is the worst game. <laughs> yeah, all those holes that the, the ET's falling in all the time. <laughs> And perished every single time. Yep, I recall. I remember this movie. <laughs> so I guess that, that <laughs> game just failed so spectacularly in the 80s that Nintendo was yeah. like, well, we don't want our image to go like that. So we want kind of control yeah. over the, the products that are, are going to be on our console. So there was there's a really great documentary made about this called Atari Game Over. And in it, they they talk about a lot of the circumstances that went into make like why the E.T. game came out the way it did. A couple of the the things that stuck out to me was it was made by one dude, like just one guy, and it he made it in a couple of weeks. I think it which was... is pretty common for games back then, though. A lot of games were done by one dude. Yeah, I mean that that's not so uncommon, but um, you know, in this discussion around video game QA, where we're talking about a company having its own separate department full of people that are just focused on squashing bugs, here's like one dude who had to like make and test the game all on his own the other thing that kind of stuck out to me that i thought was interesting was like steven's he one of his requirements the game developers requirements whose name i don't i don't recall because i'm bad at memory he 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 wanted steven spielberg to sign off on it before the game ever got released so at some point steven spielberg played this game and gave it a thumbs up so (laughs) i don't know (laughs) whose fault is it now (laughs) i mean somebody who's handed him a clipboard and was like sign this and he went yeah 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 yeah. The whole point of bringing up any of this is that this was the birth of the certification process, at least as far as I could tell for video games, was Nintendo said, we don't want a video game like E.T. to tank the sales of our console, so instead we're going to take a look at every single game and make sure that it meets a certain level of quality before we put our seal on it. Did you know that now? I I have a question, though. Mm -hmm. Um, So... We're in the really early days of PC at that point as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not even Windows. But did they have uh, a process like like the certification um, for anything on Windows or whatever Microsoft, whatever they had it called at that time? So are you talking? You're talking just general software certification? Yeah. Did that exist? Like, did Nintendo really kind of start the gardens? Because, I mean. Apple does it now, and Microsoft and Sony obviously do the same thing. Yeah, that I don't, I don't know. It's possible that they were mirroring some other process that they had seen elsewhere in the in the software hardware industry. As far as video games go, though, this was this was like a, the earliest example that I could find. I mean, of, this is also uh, kind of really sort of a- early on in like people having you know computers basically in their house, so. Yeah, it's possible. You know, it's very probable that this is one of the first times that a product is going out to a mass market where they they kind of wanted control over what was you know being made for it. Yeah, they really kind of made a big a big thing that has permeated through the entire technology industry. I, I read somewhere that Nintendo actually invented the phrase uh, "video game console" because a lot of people were just calling things Nintendos back then, uh, and they didn't want their name actually like confused with other products so they just started you know they came up with video game console as a phrase so that people could have a generic term for it i remember that i remember when i was a kid hearing people say like that nintendo referring to like literally any video game i mean my parents still say that 
Like, are you playing <laughs> Nintendo still? I'm like, yeah, yeah, mom. <laughs> we should point out that this is certification QA. This is basically like a company saying, we're going to test it to make sure that it, it meets certain criteria before we'll put it on our, our system, which is different than functionality testing, which is what I think most people think of when we talk about video game QA. Yeah. The arm of, of QA is pretty big, and I think it's larger than most people anticipate. Most people just think like, oh, it's the basic ground level, you know, kids getting hired in, thinking that like, oh, cool, I'm going to work on games and, and being <laughs> exploited uh, <laughs> to work long hours doing amazingly tedious work over and over and over and over and over again um, by just like running into walls or something, but it does go way further than that. Certification testing is uh, at least at least where I worked, they called it technical requirements. I don't know if that is a term that is used all over the place or not. Um, I did a lot of that for a couple of years. It is very different from functional testing, for sure. I guess it should be said that, Burnside, you worked in QA. I worked in QA with video games for a little bit myself. Um, Video game companies don't like to let people see the process very much. No. So when you know when when you mention that like you don't know if a certain term is used comp- like uh, industry wide, I I have that same feeling about the a lot of the stuff that I did in QA. I don't know if my experience matches up with other people's experience because it's all so like kept hush hush. Like you and I, we both we both signed NDAs in uh. We're, over the course of this podcast, we're going to be talking pretty generally because neither one of us wants to get our, our pants sued off of us. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I came close once, so I don't need to have again. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, a lot of this stuff is is kept behind closed doors. So I this episode, I, I've been wanting to do this one for a while, and, I, and I'm glad you're able to join us for this one because I wanted to try to shed light on a on an aspect of game development that I don't think a lot of people really know much about. And it's really the only aspect of game development that I can speak to from personal experience. People like to think they know a lot about it. They have they sure have a lot of opinions. Oh, oh, oh boy. <laughs> that's, oh that's man. All, that's our whole podcast though. That's, <laughs> well, that's our, well, we that's actually our have entire some, premise. We can speak from experience on this one. At least you guys Yeah, I on think this one, yeah. so many people think that they know and understand how a game Oh, that's all that needs to happen to me. All they need to do is this. You hear it all the time yeah. playing Overwatch. Ugh, this thing, they just need to tweak this. This thing needs to do like 5% less damage and all this stuff. It's like, oh boy. <laughs> you don't understand well, yeah. how complicated I, that little decision that's... is to figure out if that's actually a fix. I, Diva needs to be ejected from mech upon taking her first hit of damage. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> so be- before we launch too deep into this... Uh, I, I I'm curious, Jared, what you think quality assurance is, and then we'll and then we'll we'll judge you harshly for your very poor answer. Uh, quality assurance is when you release your game on Steam early access uh, six years ago, <laughs> call it DayZ, and then um, <laughs> everyone has an opinion on how that game should be made, and then the d- developers listen to all of the worst parts, and then they release it six years later. Is that, that's is that very good. pretty accurate? That's pretty good. That's pretty accurate. Sadly. You, I mean, you're, you are highlighting something that is maybe a changing part of the QA discussion, which is 
how involved the customer is in the process of, of actually testing a game. Um, yeah, but, but like but, my, my but real really, answer would be like, you know, you, you've told me a little bit about what you did. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's people who get paid to literally try to break the game and, and find ways that uh, the customer would be potentially negatively impacted by a, a, a bug or a feature that's not working. Then, I'm, yeah. I, I appreciate yeah. that you didn't say play the game. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, to to I, try to break a game and play a game are so two wildly different things. <laughs> I, I, I believe it. Yeah, I can imagine where you're just running in circles for a while. Like, well, if I hop on this ledge in this one very specific way, it's going to delete the entire game save. So that's probably going to need to be fixed. <laughs> Eh, no time. Uh, not, not, if not if you're Bethesda. Not if you're Bethesda. You ship that game. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. And, and I'm, that I'm sure that some some publishers and developers have different varying degrees of what's acceptable to leave into the game. Definitely. So. Yeah, that is ab- absolutely true. That and is my general understanding. I I think working in QA has ruined it. I just like can't play a proper Bethesda title anymore. <laughs> like how is this? I I, I just here? can't. It, it's the the. Uh, the sheer amount of bugs and stuff that goes into it and having witnessed my girlfriend complete all of Skyrim and then, you know, get all the DLC and then finally get the last piece of DLC, go into the cave that she's supposed to go to. And because of something that she did like over 40 hours before that in the regular game, the cave would never open. So she never had access to the DLC she paid for and they never fixed it. (laughs) Yikes. They never fixed that bug on PS3. Well, I, I sure hope someone got fired for that blunder. Nah, okay, probably not. <laughs> Instead, they, I don't actually. I don't actually hope someone got fired yeah. for that blunder. I, no, they. I, they I was hoping. I'm ho- I was hoping my set. silly voice. <laughs> QA, more like PU. Am I right, guys? Oh, Jared. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> are, are you talking about the people sitting next to you at, at work when you're working a QA job? Because you very well could be. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this is the, this is the kind of insider information we're bringing to the listeners. Oh, you want the real insider information? Here you go, listeners. <laughs> Listen up. If you want to do QA, uh, go for it. Uh, be prepared to have your shit hammered in because uh, yeah. it, it'll, it'll be brutal and beat you up. But uh, clean your body. <laughs> be hygienic and don't, and don't be annoying. I think that goes for like every job. I yeah. don't think that's just QA. I think that goes for any job. Yeah, but I think in more so than any job that I've ever worked. Uh, I mean, maybe programming in general kind of thing <laughs> as, as well. But I, but I did. I haven't pulled the hours that I did in QA. Mm. Um, See, yeah, okay, that's that's an element of QA that you got to experience that I didn't really get to experience. Oh, the fourteen, the, whole, the fourteen the hour days for twelve crunch. days in a row. Yeah, I never get to do. I never got to do crunch. Oh, uh, um, I I worked for, I, I worked for a third a third party testing company. And we worked nine to five. That was it. Like nine to five, five days a week. It was, I mean, How'd you get it's nothing spectacular. I, I think, you know, a lot, a lot of people think like video game testing, it must be so cool. You like walk into a room and there's video games everywhere and everyone's, you know, blasting aliens in the face and it's, it's a great time. Uh, and it's, it's a job, you know, and, and most, most people I'm sure if they put any amount of thought into it would come to that conclusion as well. Yeah. But it, it it really is not like you 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 don't sit down and play a game with your buddies and you're all like having a good time. You, it, it is uh you, you have a job to do and you you basically sit there and you do it for eight hours. And I worked on mobile too. I don't I don't know if that <laughs> like most of most of the testing I did was 
uh, on mobile games. So I was literally just staring at uh, like an iPhone screen for eight hours a day. And that's oh, why you wear glasses man, now. I but it wasn't bad. I don't know. I, I didn't have a bad time with it. And this is the other thing that I think is that th- there's certain people who really like working in QA and there's people who really don't like it. And and I'll agree, it like, wasn't the most fulfilling job I've ever had, but I didn't hate it. I didn't dread going into the office like, oh, fuck, I got to go play this <laughs> this game on this cell phone for eight hours. It was It was just a job. It was, you know... Yeah, like like anything uh, else, you just go and you do it. You said something kind of interesting of like it's not like you're going, you're just going in and hanging out. There's video games everywhere and everyone's having fun. Yeah, but at the same time, it it is, but it's finding the mutual fun uh, in the suffering of the job (laughs) that kind of brings everybody together. It's because like there's no way around it. It's tedious. There's no way QA can remain free of tedium and repetitiveness so it's especially functionally it has to happen um you guys probably did sweeps i'm I'm sure which are just you set up a structure an organization of like okay these are the most important things that need to be checked in this game every time that there's a new major build we need to go through and make sure these lines of functionality are working correctly and and so on and so forth and because there's just that, that means you have to do the same set of, I mean, depending on how large your game is, I'll just say, like, you know, there might be 300 things that need to be looked at every mm-hmm. time. And that it takes time, and then you're done with it, and you send it out, and they go, okay, well, here's, here's some stuff that we fixed from the last time that you did this. Take a look at that one now. And you do the same thing again, so on and so forth, until somebody with bags of money goes, I ain't got no more bags of money, let's sell this thing. <laughs> <laughs> what, what made you want to get into QA? Like, how, how did you get your start? I was always interested in games. Um, and I was actually in games retail at that moment. And I, I, it was a friend who was just like, Hey, these people need to like hire a bunch of stuff for for something like. Do you wanna Do you wanna get into this? I'm He's like, Hey, sure. I'm I'm having a lot of fun painting this fence. You wanna help? <laughs> kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like I just kind of, I don't know. I just kind of like stumbled into it because I was like, Yeah, I mean, this isn't what I want to do forever. I probably don't want to do that forever either. But it pays more. <laughs> so whatever, I'll do that. And then I and then it turned out that I have a brain for it, and pretty quickly went from functional to technical. To I I, I mean this might shock you, but I was I was the pro when it came to like German and Arabic, <laughs> making sure that and, that things were right in German and Arabic. Wait, wait, are you able are you able to to read and speak those languages, or are you? Nope. I no. can I can look at that's some... why those that's why the games didn't make any sense in Germany <laughs> and Saudi Arabia. Yeah. One the German one is actually just they only say applesauce the entire time. It's extremely confusing. <laughs> it's a long game too. Uh, we know, well now we know who to blame. <laughs> that basically um Microsoft, Sony, whoever has giant, you know, booklets of information of like this is the way things need to be for certification. You better not show uh, an Xbox controller in a menu with a PlayStation button on it. You know? mm-hmm. 
stuff as minute as that and too much bigger things mm-hmm. of, of is the store lining up to the correct spot on the back end store for each mm. region you know is the german game looking at the german store correctly it's not looking at the english store or, or the american north american store or something like that and then there's also like the the, the key phrases and terminology that you need to get right like i, I don't remember which is what one company like something being called joystick Another company might like it being called thumbstick or something like that. I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. That that kind of stuff. And so uh, for a while there, I could I could pick out all those key terms in just about any language. And that was me. You know how I got hired? You know how I got hired? You you applied? <laughs> Cra- Craigslist. Nice. Really? Yeah, they the the company I worked for had a uh, ad in Craigslist, and I thought this is this has got to be a fake scam. But I was uh, in need of a job, and video game tester sounded cool, so I applied. And it turned out to be. And they scam. hired me. Yeah. Huh. It, yeah. It well isn't isn't all of QA kind of a scam. <laughs> so the hiring process I thought was interesting. It's got to be different for you than it was for me. I oh I'm sure it was. For me, they were not interested really in past experience or even my like interest in working in the video game industry. They really wanted to just confirm that I knew how to play video games. So most of the questions in my hiring process were about, you know, what what kind of games do you like? What games have you played in the last two months? Describe that game to me. You know, describe... It, it, it was all stuff like that, which to me was a brief... It was like maybe the easiest interview I've ever had because I just do that stuff. That's what I do in my spare time. I play video games, you know? But I, I thought that was um, kind of interesting and maybe something people don't expect because I think a lot of people who are looking to get into QA are looking to get into the industry. People who, um, you know, have degrees in game design, QA will be the for a lot of people, the first step you take into the video game development world. Yeah. I understand why they ask those questions though, because far too often it's also the last step. It's like, (laughs) I, I agree with that too. Getting involved in QA. There's, there's not a lot of upward mobility. Um, because you know you need way more underlings than you do people making decisions and delegating and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And you are separated from people for the most part. You usually have, in larger scale development, you'll have you know, QA testers for a publisher and then QA testers for the actual development studio and team and stuff. So you might, you might have some people some people who are way more like close to the actual development of it but even then you might they might still be kind of tucked away like um i've never been inside of naughty dog studio ever um but i think i've heard that their their qa is like you know separated like i i don't want to necessarily mean a basement but you know they're basically in a basement away from people like i don't think they can just like turn their head and look at the developers i might be wrong but <laughs> they keep them in their cages and feed but them yeah but trough. i mean that that is the way it happens at a lot of studios and publishers obviously it's the, you know, the developers most likely not right there you just don't get the chance to show that you've got some other skill that takes more refinement like a good bug tester is a great bug tester and you don't want to see them go because a, a good bug tester is 10 bug testers 
quite frankly. Oh, <laughs> like, they I, just, I they saw that it. firsthand. For yeah, sure. they, they've they got the, the speed down. I mean, you really should be putting in bugs like crazy on anything large because, you know, tossing in your lower level bugs, your small stuff, your 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 geometry related things of, of, you know, like, oh, there's a box over here, but on the one corner, the there's there's no seam. The, the two of the planes don't connect or something, and so there's a gap, so then you can see through the level because I don't know how much you guys have talked about graphics and stuff, but um, most things in video games are only actually visible from one side. If you move the camera to the other side, it is no longer being drawn and is <laughs> invisible. And so if you find some sort of bug where, like, the geometry wasn't wrapped correctly or something, then you can kind of see through a hole, and then suddenly it's just everything is erased and there's nothing there at all. Let me ask you guys this. As someone who doesn't really have much of an insight into QAs, when in the development process does QA start? Is is the game, like, feature complete, and then you guys start testing? Is it, like, no. we finish this first part, so just start testing uh, our animation engine? Or, like, how, how when, when do you guys, like, take over? Well, I think that's where you start to get into the minutia of division of labor. Someone on the publisher end, things are going to be further along. They're not going to be done. And I, and I wouldn't even say feature locked because features get pulled. Some features get pulled shockingly close to, to before a game is out. It's just the way some things are. Some things just, the full picture is not there until really close to the end. And then you find, whoops, this aspect of the picture is stupid. <laughs> and it is not fun. In fact, it is tedious and and anti-fun so we're gonna pull that out <laughs> patch up around what we need to and then move on it happens fairly often um but early stages of qa like how much of the I, game I, has to be done before they like start even considering handing it uh, i don't know i i don't know i don't I, know either i, <laughs> I worked on I, a lot of franchises so there's already like a skeleton and a framework there. So testing could start to happen earlier because the engine has been being tested for a long, long, long time and and so on and so forth. But usually there's you know there's there's gonna be some testing that's happening from the developers themselves as well. You know, if someone's developing a, a level or something, they're not simply only writing some code and dragging some stuff around on the screen and then waiting for somebody else to come over and look at it. They're going to do what they can to take just, you know, they're going to drop some character into their code and run around and see how does this feel and look to a degree. And it's not necessarily like, does it work correctly? But is it workable? I think, I think this is why, like, it, when we were trying to hammer down the origins of QA, it was kind of hard because I think there is a certain degree of quality assurance that's going on at all points of development. Yeah. As, as for when like an actual quality assurance department takes over actively playing a game on a regular basis and submitting bugs to back to the developers. I don't know. All the games I, the games I worked on um, were actually already released into the public and I was just sort of this uh, oh, so you were part working of, on like, patches. A, yeah, the, the games I was working on had been called beta at the time that they were uh, out, but they were just available. Uh, they were available to the public. So we were, you know, we were working on builds. We get a new build of a game 
every single day that we had to test and regression test. Um, but I, you know, I feel like I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. For for you, Burnside, what what was a typical day in the office like for you when you were were testing games? Like, did you just show up, jam on a game, and then uh, scream your complaints out the window at the developers? Oh, I wish you, you posted to Twitter and complained <laughs> and threatened the developers. That is my understanding. <laughs> yeah, well, for yeah, you take lots of pictures and you put everything on Reddit. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's the number one thing to do. Uh, don't do don't do that kids no definitely don't do that it's uh, lawsuits are real <laughs> um i'd 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 walk in i would go and turn on the my computer and probably four different consoles or something like that <laughs> um oh jeez. I, I i mostly worked on console i worked on pcs as mm. well but i did mostly work on console but since i was doing technical side stuff and working with like multiple regions and compatibility and stuff i wouldn't be i'd be running like a full operation by myself as well as other people would all themselves as well so while i'm waiting for all of that heat monstrosity to start powering up and everything i would go and uh, slam as much coffee as i could in a (laughs) 15 minute period and then it's either the day could start differently i could either start a sweep or continue a sweep from the night before if we managed to actually get out before work was done somehow. Um, so quick, so real quickly, what is a sweep? So a sweep is that thing I mentioned earlier where it's basically a gigantic checklist. And you can organize it however you need to for the design and functionality of your game, but its primary purpose is a, an organized thing that you can divvy up between people and, and go through, you know, like... You know, if you're a, it's a first-person shooter, for example, you're probably gonna have like a weapons test, um, and you know, just to make sure that like, hey, are all the guns in the game firing correctly? Like, it doesn't crash when you squeeze the trigger on a different gun or something. Okay, um, so you could do that, and then even then, you could you could even subdivide that stuff out as well. Like, if you really want to do a fast sweep, just to make sure that there's nothing like ultra critical you streamline it down like instead of checking every gun just check a semi-automatic weapon because a, a bug could very likely not be tied to a, a single item but it might be a category of items and mm. stuff like that and so you depending on the design of your game you, you start to learn how these things are kind of clustered and pocketed together and everything and and the sweep is just a an organization of, of checklists that an individual or a team of people go after and so you can either come in in the morning and start that or continue one from earlier or you have uh, like a sheet of fixes for a new build and that you're going back and looking at and seeing you know did they actually fix this or not they so claim that they that's fixed the regression this. test that's regression test so yeah it's basically is one of those two things yeah, for us, we would we would start our day with uh, regression testing. We would we would get a new build and then a list of bugs that were supposed to be fixed in that build, and then we would go back and verify that in fact the bugs no longer existed, uh, and then report that back to the developer. Or we would find that it was still busted, and then send that information back to them. And then for the rest of the day, it was uh, functionality testing for us. Basically, we would just go through the game. Like sometimes we would get like what you're talking about, like we want you to focus primarily on this part and we would just try and break the game in as many ways as we could mm-hmm. on like a certain thing. 
like oh there's a there's a new character in the game can you can you try to figure out all the different ways that this character's ability might break the game with uh, the other character's abilities or something like that that's an example of the the kind of testing that that I would do and that's and that's pretty much it the the other yeah, thing and I that's, will mention, and that's though, the normal that's the normal side of of functional testing as well mm-hmm. yeah we we did kind of two different but both severely necessary things and then yeah. there's more there's more than just that though too because then there, you also have like submissions teams are typically uh, under the umbrella of QA as well and those are the ones that are double checking some of what my job was and making sure that the, the stuff is connecting together correctly in the back end and then packaged correctly and del- actually delivered delivering it to Sony, Microsoft, etc. Um, that's all part of QA as well. Just simply submitting it, that whole process is more, more involved than most people would think too. It's not a simple just like, oh, drag the file to our Dropbox, unfortunately. No. The other aspect of the job that people might not be as familiar with is that you're not just playing the game and then finding a bug and then telling the developer about the bug. There's a very specific process for how that that information is communicated to a developer. So, you know, with with the company that I worked for, we used a database website. There's several out there that I think video game QA companies use or QA yeah. departments use. Lots but, lots but, of them use they they're used all over the software industry uh, uh, yeah. for all sorts of things. Do you know which one you used? Um, I don't remember. I used a bunch. I want to say something like I, and this could be totally wrong. Like I've got a name jumping to my mind. It's like Mantis or something like that. So I could, that I could be, kind of I, I could it, be misremembering. There's completely. like a dev suite that has like dev track and all kinds of other stuff that I would use that. Jira was another big one. If you're an NPR listener, you've probably heard <laughs> the, a commercial for Bitbucket and Jira and all kinds of stuff. Um, no. Yeah, they're all over the place. So, and in that process of submitting a bug, it's very, very detail oriented. It's yes. it's not just it's not just like hey the game the game crashed when I did this thing. It's tracking literally every moment from when you turned the game on to how you got to the the point that the bug occurred, and you know the the series of events that led up to it. The goal being that when you submit your bug back to the developer, that someone can follow those steps like literally step by step to recreate the bug that you found. And sometimes it's, sometimes it's hard. Like sometimes you'll find something and you'll be like, Oh, I think I did this. That's what caused the bug. And then you'll go back and try to recreate it. And you can't, you yourself can't recreate it. And it's like that, that gets frustrating. Cause you're like, shit, <laughs> I know something's here. Like I fucked this game up somehow. I just don't remember exactly what I did to get to this point, but that's very important. And then beyond that, the reports that you're submitting to the developer are important because then when that bug is quote unquote fixed, when you then have to go back and regression test it, you're looking at either your notes or notes someone else wrote about how to recreate the bug and trying to, and trying to follow along to see if you can break the game in the same way. So there's a, you know, in, in the process, it it might seem like, Oh, you just play games and you tell the developer when a bug shows up, but it's very, you have to have a mind for it. Oh yeah. And uh, I I think think a lot of people, that's part of why, some people like it and some don't. Yeah, exactly. You have to be, you have to have patience and and logic, and you you've got to be willing to not um, make assumptions in your logic. Um, and because I I think a a problem you there's you always see this in a QA team. There's always some people that get hired and 
they're they're the ones that aren't going to be long for it that it, it's so utterly shocking to them that somebody who is developing the game has not played the game either at all or very much <laughs> yeah. and and uh but it's like yeah, man they're, they're you know they're sitting behind a computer for 10 12 hours a day punching in code and all this stuff or focusing on this one little thing or you know <laughs> plenty of bugs are just for artists and it's like man that guy this dude's just modeling some 3d model all day long he has yeah. no clue that like something weird happens to it when it gets into an area of a map for some reason mm-hmm. he knows nothing about that map because it's all of his time and effort is going into this one little tiny small thing he's not seen all this other stuff uh in order for him to fix it you need to hold his hand I don't, I don't know if you, if you think that this is true or not, but I've heard that developers um, really don't like QA departments because it's very disheartening to like submit your work and then all you hear back from a QA department is all the ways that you fucked up. <laughs> yeah. I don't, uh, I don't know if that... I don't, hate might be the wrong word, but I, I've, I've heard that, that um, developers kind of... like It's disheartening to... Uh, interact with the QA department because that's literally their whole their whole purpose their whole existence is just to tell you the ways that you've failed at your job. Yeah, um, I can. Uh, yeah, I could see that. <laughs> it certainly makes sense. Personalities um, are certainly a thing in the video game industry. Um, you you get so much time kind of cooped up in the same spots for so many hours on end that. Uh, individuals' personalities can really start to shine through <laughs> and, and define them. And, and, That's a polite way to say it. Yeah, and certain certain people will feel a little bit different than other people will about some of that stuff. Um, there's certainly people who would get pissed. Every so often, you know, you'll get... Uh, a note back on a bug that's just like nah ba 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 and it's it's like no, you clearly didn't actually read this thing. You just oh yeah you just read the title. You didn't read the steps. I like the uh the one of my favorites to get back from development was like could not recreate. That was like it. <laughs> no other explanation just could not recreate fixed. Oh. <laughs> I, I have heard from developers that of the love hate relationship with QA where on one side it's really frustrating, especially during crunch or something. If you've just been putting in the work and putting in the work and putting in the work and, and, and this industry, I, I am a big proponent. I think this industry needs unions severely up and down all over the place. So you get people who, you know, they've got a new kid at home and, 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 and a wife or a husband or whatever, and they want to spend time with their family, but instead they're spending six days a week minimum uh, at an office for 10 to 18 hours just hammering away and doing this stuff and then finding out that the thing that they did wasn't right or good enough or, and stuff. No. Like, it could certainly be absolutely frustrating. But at the end of a, everything, nothing feels worse than putting a game out and then seeing the thing that, like... I thought you were just going to leave it there. Uh, (laughs) Nothing feels worse than putting a game out. (laughs) Kind of. (laughs) Because it's it's insane how quickly the public will find and destroy things. Mm -hmm. You could have 40 people working tirelessly for four months on a game, QAing the fuck out of it. 
and then it is out in the wild for three minutes and something just asinine happens mm-hmm. that just completely obliterates the game and you're like how in the fuck did somebody find that mm-hmm. and it's yeah. that thing of like there's billions of possibilities do you think that that's one of the reasons why so many games release before like a 1.0 now like we have early access and, and basically betas that people are like selling for yeah. money but like it's just probably like is it just they're, faster they're, to just put it out there they're too small to afford a sizable qa thing i think with uh especially now as you're getting so many games that are like big and online and like you know oh we've got this giant map for this uh you know for a, a PUBG ripoff and like oh it's gonna be so cool and stuff but man there's a lot of things that could go wrong in something mm-hmm. so large like anywhere you could have just accidentally slapped two tiles next to each other and then you know they weren't exactly hugging correctly or there's some like weird overlap and and who knows but if you've only got a team of I don't know, let's say eight people or something are making this game, which is even kind of big for a really small indie game. You've all got stuff to do. To to QA that and then be able to continue and do the rest of your work that you need to do to keep furthering production, it's just impossible. To like boil it down a little bit, like what would you say is the mission of QA? Because it doesn't seem like it's destroy all bugs because it just that almost seems like an impossible task especially with the the scale of games these days oh yeah that's what i was i I forgot about saying earlier yeah you'll get things that we would just call them wnfs will not fix and so we would take a pass at it and say like okay you know like here's here's a bug if you do xyz this happens and then i actually think that's the subtitle for fallout 76 (laughs) (laughs) got him jared (laughs) Yeah, take so, that fallout. You give us, you get well. You give us thirty dollars now, and uh, and we'll break a server for you. There you go. <laughs> um, but it, so like you you find the bug and you you tell it to them, and then they'll go, hey man, I followed your steps. It didn't happen to me because sometimes things. Uh, that's the other part. It's just like you go from one build to another. Sometimes certain certain bugs just get fixed, and nobody knew that like. It was mm-hmm. already on a docket for a developer who was just, who is aware that like something is wrong there, and so they already have their own little list of themselves of like here's the stuff that I'm gonna do, and you know repairing this thing is is already on my list, and you and other people can't really know all of that. There's no way to know the you know what everyone wants to work on at all times mm-hmm. in a game when there's hundreds of people working on it, um, and then other times just like somebody else's fix for something can just like fix something else like it happens no and so they might not encounter it again and then so you'll you'll mark that down and as it as the next build comes you go okay try it again and after three times if no one's able to encounter it again we'll typically you know you close close the bug out and label it will not fix or fixed by so on and so forth depending on what it is that could have potentially caused the the fix and at a certain point you also you start to disregard the low things you know early on it's well really early on you're, you're looking for the major high things only functionality breaking things and then as you get further in you're 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 deep into alpha builds you're in your beta builds and stuff and then you're really starting to pick apart 
the finer things. Like, oh, there's some Z fighting in the distance that's also, like, caused by some LOD pop or something like that, which um, I don't know how often that kind of terminology comes up on here. but uh, Oh, all the time. Steve won't shut up about it's LOD what, It's pop. actually one of my biggest turn-ons. <laughs> Z fighting? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Z fighting. Oh, look at oh. that LOD popping. Oh, my gosh. Oh, flicker, baby. <laughs> Keep keep saying it, Burnside. <laughs> Z. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, you know, Z fighting is when you've got like two, uh, two two art assets that are layered on top of one another, but they're so close that the game is actually struggling to know which one is supposed to go in front of the other thing. I just I actually just saw um, an indie game where they intentionally used that on television screens to create the effect of like the television screens having movement when really they had just sort of like layered two textures and then oh. just let the Z fighting be the effect. That's really cool. As long as there's not some like crazy asinine memory thing going on because of that, which is doubtful. Um, that's awesome. That's a really cool idea of how to use something like that. Mm-hmm. Because that also probably saved space because they could have oh, made yeah. some animated GIFs to put in there and that's the, yeah, that spaces everything <laughs> yeah it's a it, it was it was neat to see it and like a fun example of how sometimes some of these things that get defined as bugs can also be uh features mm-hmm. game they could be game breaking features oh yeah um <laughs> ah. Ah. But, i mean that's that's kind of what i i'm not like i'm not a metal gear fan it, it's just what? not for me because i'm i i Oh, Jared, I... fight him. Fight him. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. Cue the Final Fantasy VII battle music. Exclamation mark just appeared over my head. So, well, <laughs> it's, I, I'm being repetitive, but I can also say I, I'm not a big anime fan. <laughs> mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah they're, they're the same thing. But, <laughs> but I, I... I would not argue that. Right? <laughs> I, but I do love that they did that crazy shit with like... The memory cards and like oh the the system restarted and all mm-hmm. all of those kind of things of like making you think that you've encountered a bug and that's mm-hmm. part of it. Yeah, I'm I'm way into that stuff. That's all super clever. Now, Jared, I'll ask you this question: When you think about video game QA, do you consider uh, testers to be video game developers? Hmm, that's a really good question. Um, my first instinct would be no i guess i don't know i never really thought about it because i guess they are part of the development process but do qa testers call themselves like would they be like oh i'm a video game developer i don't i don't know to me if someone introduced themselves like that that would be uh, a little misleading as to what their responsibilities are i guess but yeah i guess i i, I yes from just my perspective and, and background. Your, your answer changed so people. dramatically I, I, I <laughs> over the cor- over the course of like several sentences. Your answer took a complete one eighty. I know. I've I've grown. It's a roller coaster ride. I've grown as a person. Since then. <laughs> I feel like uh, your average person is going to say no because a tester isn't so much making decisions, but in in my mind, anyone involved in that process is a developer. Uh, I I would take I, I I think the less popular opinion in, in calling them developers um, because for ultimately their stuff is input and I have seen in like 
entire features changed based off of things that I've been like, this isn't working and this isn't working and this isn't working and this isn't working. Yeah. And, and so then a feature has changed and frankly, without the amount of time and, and depth that I went in on something that feature may have never operated the way that they really intended it to. And they probably wouldn't have been able to find the time for it, you know, the exact reason why QA exists in the first place. But ultimately, my input made them change their decisions. I still feel like that's that is a hand in development. In that case, I I think someone should be called a developer. But it's also me thinking that the entire industry needs to respect the division of QA more than they do to begin with. I think QA, I think people who work in QA are, are, are devs as well. Uh, and I think it goes beyond what you were saying too, but I think that as a, at least when I personally worked in QA, my input went beyond just finding bugs. This is why I think so much emphasis was put on the hiring process of making sure that I was familiar with video games because there's like, there's a language in video games that people who don't play games or aren't familiar with video games just don't understand. And and that and I don't just mean like word language, but I mean like the way a game plays and feels. Like those are those are things that, from playing so many games for so long, you get a sense for how a game is supposed to be. And like you were saying earlier, Burnside, some people just don't play. Some people who are working on the game just don't play it. Some people are maybe not even interested in playing it. You may have and en- like literal engineers who who don't really even care about video games who are working on a game. So there are cases where it would be something like, you know, I'm trying to think of an example for something that people who are familiar with video games would would recognize. But um, like, let's say you're on the the menu screen of a game. You just loaded up a game. You're on the menu screen and you go into options and then you go into controller settings. And then when you exit controller settings, I think most gamers would expect it to take them back to that options screen. But what if it took you back to the the main menu for the video game? That's an example that's maybe not necessarily a bug that may have been designed intentionally that way, but it feels wrong. Like yeah. it doesn't feel it doesn't feel right as as someone who plays video games all the time because you expect it to take you back to the previous screen. So I would there were times when I would submit bugs like that. There are times when I would submit bugs about the way story was written uh, in the game, and that's it's not a bug, but it would be inconsistent with the way other things were written. So I would submit that. And I think that those examples maybe highlight some of the other ways that QA testers can be a part of actual development. You've convinced me. Yeah. If, if you didn't already believe that they were a developer, which I, I already think that they were, but yeah. that just, I think, further proves that, that there's, there's elements to the input that go beyond just like, hey, I, I, I played your video game and I found a bug. The story thing is, is interesting because like, that really comes down to where are you at in QA? Um, like, if you're on the publishing side, you're you're probably actually told just straight up not to even write bugs and stuff like th- about that kind of stuff, um, because there's another QA team closer to the metal, if you will, mm-hmm. to steal tech terms that could, you know, say something to a writer or whatever right then and there on the spot um also that that it that does get into that touchy territory of like butt hurting somebody you know Mm -hmm. a writer doesn't want to be told 
by someone who doesn't write that mm-hmm. something is wrong with their story. Uh, what if there's a dragon in this yeah. part? That's what you should add. Is a, <laughs> that's as a that's actually my first. That was my first bug on every game. No <laughs> dragons. <laughs> uh, this is I. <laughs> There's women characters in the game, and there are no dragons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, big bug. <laughs> Must fix. Uh, 4chan designed a game. <laughs> yeah. One time, I um, I was working on on a pretty big game, and it wasn't the most well received when it when it came out. Like it could be it could be really worse. I. I think I worked on very few, like, stinkers. And I worked on a lot of games. I worked on well over ten. And uh, one in particular, though, what I thought really stunk about it was not the game itself. I thought the gameplay and everything was great, but I thought the story was ultimately a pretty big fucking mess. Um, <laughs> and uh, part of part of that mess did come down to, like, edits and changes that kind of needed to happen and and some stuff that needs to get moved around so that you can't really uh, you can't really patch up the uh, hole that's kind of created but it's better than it was before and and the, i mean that probably happens on every single game you've ever played and most of the time you don't realize it at all but there was me and another guy and, we're, and we were both writers and so you know we're going through this thing and and we're we're doing like speed runs where I'm like beating the entire game in a day or less kind of stuff. And um, looking, I believe I was looking for progression blockers as we would call them. Something that would make you hit a mm, spot where you yeah. cannot progress in the story at all. A true um, game breaking bug. A true game breaking bug. And we just kept man, like, man, you know, in this spot and this spot and this, this spot, they're just, if they just did a, like an extra line, like this would be so much better. And we basically ended up writing five lines of dialogue that completely turn severely anticlimactic parts of the story and makes them some of the most interesting when you get to the last 60 seconds of of play in the game. The very, Hmm. very, very last end of the game before the credits roll. And we were like, man, this is great. (laughs) And so like, we're showing like everybody in the office like hey i think we like came up with a fucking amazing idea for this thing and it's you know we would have lost our jobs if we went to the right person to be like hey you can put this dialogue in here not only that but this is also dialogue that you only need to animate a character's mouth for nothing else needs to change even the pacing around certain things and 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 stuff that is kind of like on an automatic loop and is not triggered by the player like doesn't need change like timing doesn't need this like this would be the the easiest thing to change and implement in the story out of any edit that you've made in the last you know five months and we were stuck in a place where it's just like you know you cannot you just can't do that (laughs) yeah i was like that that sounds really touchy and it's yeah yeah and uh, but at the same time it's frustrating when it's just like oh, you feel like you don't have anything to do with the process in that moment because yeah. you do yeah, genuinely I, I like oh, oh and i mean i won't say the name of the game and companies or anything like that but i definitely talked to people who have wrote other games 
um, some rather large games that people love a lot. And when I told them, oh, like, this is me and this dude, like, so in, like this part of the story, this this thing gets said, and we add this here and add that there, and 100% of the time, everyone's like, fuck, that's a, that's a fucking good idea. But <laughs> because of where I was at and the tears of the, the development, it would it would piss the wrong person off if I were to mm-hmm. say something. And ultimately, it would have meant I'm the expendable one. They are not. Even if... I, I can imagine... Yeah. I can imagine, like, you know, I, I work in TV, and it's like a boom operator saying, like, giving someone a line or suggesting a joke to the actor or something. You know, it's like, yeah, you just don't do that because there's a lot of people yeah. between <laughs> the writing and, and it the does... directing and the producing. It's like, uh, mm. no, exactly. just don't do it. But but they didn't know that it was Steve Carell operating that boom while he was in the, <laughs> he was in the midst of going man there's this British show The Office that I that I love I bet I bet I could work with a guy to to make that in America you had no idea yeah. he was the one holding up that boom exactly he could have lit the world is, on fire is Steve Car- <laughs> is Steve Carell offensive I saw his name pop up on Twitter recently and normally that means they've done <laughs> is something problematic <laughs> yeah is, oh, he, is, oh, is there man, something problematic about I... Steve Carell. I hope uh, not. I, I love Steve Carell. Let's, I just, let's do a uh, deep dive. Steve Carell, <laughs> racist. He was just he was just on Twitter, and I I normally assume like when I see someone's name pop up that they've done something horrible. Oh, buddy, buddy, <laughs> buddy, look. No, the exact opposite. <laughs> okay, <good. laughs> okay, the exact good. opposite. Probably the greatest thing in the world for me. So, my two favorite shows are number one with a bullet is King of the Hill. Number two oh, is The Office. And they both were created by Greg Daniels, and then Greg Daniels created the the American Office with Steve Carell, and they are now making a show for Netflix about Trump's Space Force. <laughs> oh, nice! All right. I, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh my gosh, that is just like a little post Christmas gift the universe gave to me. Okay, all right, <laughs> I'm on board. It's like, oh, oh. Really? Two of my favorite people in comedy getting back together to make something? Greg Daniels also made Parks and Rec for people who aren't aware of that. Mm. Um, Legend. Yeah. I, it's just, he's, a, he's a comedy god to me. And I love Steve Carell to death. And I love nonsensical sci-fi slash political based humor. So <laughs> it feels like a very strange niche that's just like, here you go, Matt. You can have this. They don't know that, it, or the universe knows. I don't know. I'm probably gonna die in like nine months, and I just don't. I'm not aware of it. And the universe is like, we feel, we feel bad. We feel bad for you. At least have this first, because you're it's, gonna die by like choking on a pancake or something. It's. Do you? All right. This is going way off topic. Do you guys experience that sensation sometimes, <laughs> like especially around media of like potential impending doom? Because there's times when I'm like, I live in a world where they're they're making Star Wars movies again. I would hate to die before I get to see episode nine. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's like a weird, that's like a weird thought that crosses my mind every once in a while. Always, like I've, I've come this far. Mind, I'm, I'm like, who can I contact just in case, you know, I go terminal. Like who can I, how can I get the early screening? I know what happens. <laughs> okay. Here, here's a question for you, Matt. Who was in charge of QA at Dunder Mifflin? 
who was in charge of QA at Dunder Mifflin. That is none other than Creed. That is correct. <laughs> I am glad to see you are, in fact, a real fan. Oh, I, yeah. I, I did not know that. I love he, Creed, but I had no <laughs> idea he was the QA guy. Creed was supposed to go and check... Uh, check a factory where someone was disgruntled and he never did it and they put that uh was it like, was it like a duck flicking them off or like a duck with a boner or something like that something like it was that, like a, yeah. it was a watermark <laughs> on all the paper <laughs> oh good old <laughs> oh, man, now, ha- now have you listened to any of his music or, or better yet have you gone to see it see him in concert i've not well okay uh i did I heard him playing guitar one time when he came around something probably at, at Meltdown at some point not many years ago. But um, I think Steve was making a bad joke about the band Creed. No, no, he, no, no, no. Creed, he, he's actually a actor, performer. Yeah, the actor oh, is. Oh, oh. He, he he's like a singer songwriter dude. But but so oh, okay. But apparently I he went on tour as Creed, and like people show some people showed up and were like, "What the oh, fuck?" <laughs> really. That's, that is amazing. I don't know if that's I true. It. I so I I've, now I've uh, embroiled myself in in so uh, conspiracy, but it, I had heard I had heard that uh, that he actually just toured as Creed, and people were like, "What the fuck is this?" Oh man, if he ate a potato on stage every night, I'd be so. Happy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we've gone. I think we've gone too far afield from our QA discussion. Let's let's rein it back in a little bit. Uh, I want to kind of touch back on something that, that Jared brought up, which is why is it that old games seem to work like right out of the box and new game and new games don't like why did, why are there so many patches that happen with, with games? Boy, there's so many, there's so many reasons for that. One old games had less going on, less systems in place when there's less systems and less systems interacting, less points of interaction, less opportunities for something to go wrong. There is less space for code and assets, so less chances and opportunities to go wrong. You know, uh, it isn't necessarily true that the old games didn't have updates. You know, there's several versions of you know, like for example, like a Final Fantasies for the Super Nintendo, Nintendo that uh, have actual different versions that they sold. Like after a while, true. a couple months after being out, they would mm-hmm. actually update the game on the cartridge and manufacture new cartridges with some fixes. But yeah, it definitely was not like today's standards. But, but do you think be. that if video, like let's say the internet didn't exist, but video games still progress, like still got more and more advanced the way that they have. That's my ideal future. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, if only. But... um so, so if there was no capability to uh, update games the way that we have now, would games still come out in their busted states, or or do you think games would spend longer in development working on those things to make sure that there there weren't those issues, or is that even possible? Like, are games at a state that they are now literally out of a necessity? Well, partially is necessity, I think. Um, man, that's a uh... Saying that if the internet didn't exist, it also creates a a question within the development process itself that mm-hmm. you have to rely on using the internet so much to move the data around between the people who are working. Um, even if it's an intranet, I mean, it's still ultimately operating off of the tenets of the internet. And so that alone would just disrupt everything of purely making stuff. The internet is just too necessary for a team with hundreds of people. 
But if we could somehow ignore that, I still think that games would be too big uh, to come out bug-free. Um, though, I will say, a lot of day one patch stuff is things that people don't realize is not affecting them so much. Yeah. Like, I know I know there was something kind of recently they were like, oh, you know, you really should plug it in and patch it at first because we changed something in the end of the game or something. And, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, that, that stuff does happen, but it doesn't happen that prevalently. More often... A day, a day one or a day zero patch that it can even be called, where like the patch is already up and baked and ready to pull down by a user when before the game is even launched. So even like a reviewer is actually going to get it because a lot of the times people reviewing games don't have access to a patch yet, hmm. and so they may be told like, "Hey, once you get to a certain point in the game." Don't have that reflect your review because you are you are actually missing some files. Interesting. That's a side. That's a side I know nothing about. I would. I I encountered that a couple times when I got to when I was reviewing games and stuff. Um, not a ton, but I think something that's way more common now is we can wait to fully fix and flush out and 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 completely iron out as much as possible on the online side. We can. We can push that work to the side and finish the single-player stuff and then move on to the, the, the extreme refinement of the, of the online where we can move like everybody onto it because you have to be connected online in order to experience it. Yeah, so we that's can a have point. that fix online, so you're never going to get to encounter that part of the game. It's blocked out. It's grayed out. You can't even select it until you have that patch pulled. And that lets you kind of delegate it, but that it's, you know, that is a thing of like, uh, that's like two or three weeks of work. Like, you know, pushing a game an extra two or three weeks can mean a lot of money. I don't know how that's going to change in the future with movements into digital, but certainly in the last 15 years, you know, if, if you're coming down to the wire and you're two months out, it's about, it's almost time to start considering like, printing the game like the manufacturing and stuff takes time so you could either push the manufacturing out which is ultimately going to do a couple things either you are going to make less product to put out onto the shelves and hold your release date or you're going to push your release date back either way chances are you are going to lose money because of that you're going to sell less copies of the games that you're going to sell because there's not as many to sell or People are going to go, oh, they pushed it back. I'll wait and see if it's good. Or they'll just forget and they'll buy something else because there's a billion games coming out constantly. Everyone yeah. is always saying it. Man, this this summer's intense. There's games constantly. And then two months later, like, this winter's intense. There's games constantly. Yeah. There's the, you can't get away from it. Um, so having the online ability of that patch of, like, putting that on there and, and delegating of like, okay, so this is stuff that people can't touch without the internet. We can put we can put some of these fixes into this patch so we don't lose this two, three weeks of time. And Yeah, totally makes I, sense. It, it makes it makes a lot of sense, especially it'd be nice if it went hand in hand with like, hey, we're able to save money this way, like treat employees better or, 
you know, do something less uh, uh, stereotypical uh, American corporation with it. Yeah. But, you know, I don't well, know. we don't need to well, talk about the politics of, of well, uh, capitalism. Let me ask you this. <laughs> I mean, as someone who's worked in QA, what's a way that um, developers, publishers and stuff can, can improve on the way that they implement QA in the game development process? That's tough. How can the industry improve as a whole? Like, what can the industry just do better in your mind? Take a shower. Well, it's a it's it's a, a bit of a complicated web because I think the changes could vary depending on the type of game that you're making. So, if you're making just a single player game, the ideal of like everyone is just working nine to five. It doesn't matter where you are and everything. Like, that's just you're just you're working like a regular person. Awesome. And I think that's a little bit easier to do with something like that that doesn't have online just because things really do start to extrapolate um, in complexity whenever you start adding online elements. Um, and as that becomes more and more complicated and, and you have a bigger game, you got people working around the globe. And that's when QA starts to get nutty if, you know, you've got... You, you're answering to people in Los Angeles and Texas and Quebec and... Uh, London and Paris <laughs> and you know if you've got all of these things spread out around the globe and they're all working with each other then how is there a way for the, the ultimately everything it comes through some testers and it gets pushed back out everyone is waiting to hear what the testers have to say in order to start to implement fixes and testers are waiting for fixes to be implemented so like it doesn't seem like you can work at the same times and have it be a, a well-oiled machine um, hmm. which is hard. How do you find a way of balancing that so that people all over the planet can just be working a regular shift, a, you know, a nine to five shift, we'll say, and it not railroad the development process? You know, it, it just doesn't slow it down 50%. I, I, the, the correct answer I was looking for was unionize. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, good. <laughs> the, easiest, the easiest way around all of it is, yeah, yeah, unions, big time. Unions, for and, sure. And, uh, and I, it's, the voice it's act, not just like a snap your fingers thing and it's done, right? Like, no. th I think that you're going to have to come up with entirely new workflows if that's the case. Because right now, it's for sure. which is not sustainable. For sure. It's just the industry standards. This is, but, but you're talking about, and this has always been the argument against unionization, is that like, oh, we'll have to restructure our entire industry around it. But if you if you consider that your employees are human beings that want to that want to have like reasonable lives, then that's like the, the that's the argument for you for most unions to exist. The suicide and divorce rate in video games industry is way too high. I mean, it's anything above zero is like, oh, that's a shame. That's too high. But like it's big. <laughs> it's yeah. big and it's big in tech too but i don't know how much of that statistics is outside of the u.s because china has their obvious problems um but yeah oh i know sadly i know too, way too many stories of people getting divorced and stuff i mean by the time i left i was breaking down mentally as well mm. it, it's it, that's too bad it hammers you down to a way <laughs> to to a pulp that you you're not probably prepared for, um, and I can't speak. I can't speak to how much of other aspects of game development 
how how far into that insanity territory they can get. I mean, from what we've heard, it's not far off. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, uh, it's so much depends on who you're working for, like the, what studio, publishers, everything. There's so many different things, but uh, but yeah, unions. I think unions severely need to exist, and I would really, really hope that the Screen Actors Guild would and or is a Voice Actors Guild separate, or is that part of Screen Actors Guild? I don't really know how that works. I but, think I think they are part of SAG. Okay, they need to be doing a better job helping the rest of the video game industry than what they're doing because they had that big thing that kind of stopped stuff for a bit by not contributing voice acting to anything and and eventually got their way more or less and uh i won't i won't name names but i've had my privileges in the past from working on both sides of of the game industry and the media industry of getting to talk with certain individuals who are, had a lot to do with that movement, and hmm. they're not exactly holding up their their promise to some of the video game people that that uh, they had talked to in the past of of continuing to fight for like everybody in the industry, and that's a a huge disappointment in my mind. I mean, my my. In my mind, if the TV and film industry have been able to make it work, the video game industry should be able to make it work yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and and part of that is the industry has to suck it up and realize that at some point they are going to have to look down at all of these kids and say, shut the fuck up, stop mm-hmm. complaining so much, this is the way it is, things can't be multiplying in complexity and size and depth every year it's not possible without ruining lives yeah i and and i didn't mean to make it sound like uh like jared you were against unions i'm just saying like that's the argument about the way that we define success is a big part of like the argument against unions a lot of the time is like well we can't succeed we can't do this current business model if we unionize well like yeah that's the point <laughs> like yeah, is, that your, exactly. is that your business model destroys lives um but but what you're talking about burnside i it, i think is an important part of it is shaping the public's perception of the way that games are made yeah i think that's the most difficult part it it's, is for it, sure it's, it's ultimately easy to be like yes you know what you can almost double development time Per se, but that's like a man hours thing. You'll never, you're never gonna get a clean fit of just like, well, you know, if we don't have crunch, we're not paying out all this overtime and all this stuff, um, so we can hire more people. Well, how about this? We'll double the amount of employees, and then, you know, the development is gonna take half of the amount of time, and so we're, we're still gonna reach the finish line at the same amount of time if people aren't working as much, and we got twice as many people. Not totally true, unfortunately, because there is still the sitting around and waiting for somebody else to finish what they're doing so that you can do what you're doing or what you need to do. Um, there's got to be some balance out there, and I don't, know, I, don't, I don't have enough stats and math behind it to, to know like where it is, but I definitely think more people could be hired in the industry. And, and I think that those public perceptions are changing, largely an effort by like groups that are trying to unionize the video game industry. But I, 
there was a game a while back. I might have mentioned it on this show before, but they missed their release date and basically said, like, we apologize. We're going to miss our release date. Don't worry. We're going to work everyone overtime to make sure that the game gets out <laughs> oh, to you on time. You know, it gets out to you in a few weeks or whatever it was. Worst message and like, ever. And there's a part of me that was like, oh, that's like really sad and gross. But then I went into the comments and this was like on this was actually on Twitter where most people's response to this tweet were, hey, please don't work your employees overtime. Like release the game when it's done. But like, but don't <laughs> don't yeah. sacrifice your employees to to make this game come out any sooner than it than it needs to be. And, and that was really encouraging to me. It, it, it made me hopeful that that people outside of the industry are starting to recognize that there are people working on video games, you know, that there are people working on video games, which is another thing that is changing as well, though, because that's the other thing of like, yeah, we can <laughs> we can fix some of these things in development, but that is going to mean replacing some QA jobs with automation. There's no way around it. And well, we're all going to get replaced by automation at some point. Well, like I had I had the complete ability within myself. If I really really wanted to, I could have put myself out of a job years ago. <laughs> I could I could have built a simple Python script. It would have taken me I bet the whole thing would have taken me a week to get to get like pretty solid. I could have like made a thing that you just look at the screen and you know grab out pieces of the screen so that it would knew like okay your character is in this location this is going on blah 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 type in the rules bang it goes it does it's you know it's it's inputting dummy controller stuff that can go and tell the thing where to go and what to do and it can test you could do regression testing without me like i probably could have done something like that and for and what for you should have done is done that and then dress up a mannequin to look like you, mm. to some kind of pulley system, and then just go on vacation. So they think you're working. Nah, I just sit there and look at stuff on the internet, and that's close enough to vacation for me anyway. <laughs> you're, like, fuck, you're like, fuck this, I'm going to go play video games. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I was already, I mean, I'm in LA, I'm close enough to LAX as it is. I see enough planes in the sky, and I, I don't need an airport. <laughs> Bing is my airport. I don't know. I felt like mentioning Bing. I don't know Bing. Why. <laughs> you just you just had to get a Bing plug in the episode at one point. <laughs> this episode sponsored by Bing. Remember? <laughs> let, me, let me Bing that for you. Yeah. We're still a website. Bing. <laughs> that they are from the people that brought you the Zune. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the Connect. Rest in peace. I still, man, I can't stand that my Xbox One X does not have a port for my Connect on the back. Oh no. End of an era. It really end, is, man. End of an era. I'm gonna try and I'm gonna try and rein this back in. Did, did we get to everything that we wanted to get to on QA? Is there any is there any last oh, minute stuff you guys want to get in? I think we solved it. We solved QA. We solved we, it. We we Q, we we QA'd the QA. We QA'd mm. the QA. All right, perfect. Well, cool. Then then let's uh, let's let's bring this episode to a close. If our listeners have any questions for us or comments about QA, we'd love to get your feedback. It's the start of a new year. We've expunged all of the other feedback we received from last year. We're going to pretend it doesn't exist, um, most, mostly it. because it doesn't exist. Send us your feedback. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your questions <laughs> or comments or or uh, anything about video game QA or any of our past topics. Uh, you can reach us at podcast at gbfeature.com or connect with us at gbfeature on Twitter. Did that sound right? I felt like when I was when I was reading that, I said it wrong. I don't know, man. It's been a while since we've done this. I, I know. I don't really remember how to podcast anyway. Extend, extended uh, holiday break. We're back. We're doing it. 
But I think that's going to do it for this episode. Before we get out of here, I have to thank our guest, Matthew Burnside. Burnside, thank you so much for joining us again, man. It's always good to talk with you. It's always good to yeah. play Overwatch with you. Oh, pleasure. You should probably get on tonight. Or maybe even, I will. Even uh, in half an hour, maybe. Well, they got the uh, <laughs> well, they got that uh, the Lunar New Year event coming up. So you and I, we're gonna have a lot of game time coming up because I got. Did you get your Anna skin? The Reaper skin. The which one? The Anna skin. Oh, pff, yeah. Day one. Come on, bro. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> Fourteen wins. Fourteen wins. No problem. <laughs> Burnside, where can people keep up with you? Where can they find uh, your podcast? Lay all those details on them. All right. You can listen to me ramble about whatever else with my partner in crime, Kyle Clark, on This Is Rad. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all your normal places that you're finding your podcast at. Every week we've, we have somebody come on and talk about something that they think is rad and I mean, the goal is supposed to be to turn people on to cool new things, but uh, also uh, making uh, uh, potty humor. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, true. I was on for an episode and I talked about beer. That's yeah. one of my specialties. Yeah, and I'm sure we made plenty of distasteful jokes. Everyone oh, was everyone was sick in that episode. It was great. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. I <laughs> that's do. The best. Yeah. Isn't that everyone the best? Was. Sick people next to microphones. Only thing better than that is sick people eating on microphone. Delicious. Yeah, and then you can find me on social media. I'm uh, at Matthew Burnside on just about everything, but uh, I don't remember the last time I tweeted, and I basically only use Instagram. Certainly don't look me up on Facebook because, <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't know you, just know. so I will not accept you. But even if you know me, I probably just won't log on and won't accept you because of that. <laughs> Well, well, Burnside, again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, as a reminder, we release new episodes every two weeks. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss anything. If you like what we do and you want to help us out, head over to iTunes, give us a review. I want to thank Kyle Clark for making our theme song. You can check out his podcast and Matt Burnside's podcast. This is Rad on iTunes. Definitely go check that out. Do it. I'm Stephen Bennett. I'm at Stephen underscore the gamer on Twitter. I'm still at Jared Bruner. We want to thank you, the listener, for taking the time to listen to us chat about video games and Tom Petty and a bunch of other garbage. This has been Game Breaking (laughs) Feature. Remember, it's okay to disagree. Just don't be a dick about it. Stay on topic. And never. (laughs) Thanks. Bye, guys. Hmm.